0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Let me just ask that after listening to and or watching the video, if you found you enjoyed it, please do me a favor, smash that like button. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a Patreon membership. You'll find a link in the description. Now let's dig in. Well, hello there. How are you doing? It's Friday. Take a deep breath. (sighs) We made it. Something momentous in true crime happened this week, and that is Suzanne Morphew's remains were finally found after three years. So today the video is about the Suzanne Morphew case this is barry morphew striding confidently out of the fremont county jail when the district attorney dismissed their murder charges against him just nine days before his trial was to take place in April of 2022. He's flanked by his ever-loyal daughters, Mallory and Macy. Morphew was accused of doing in his wife Suzanne after she suddenly went missing on Mother's Day in May of 2020. For three years, investigators and searchers have been looking for Suzanne's body, Well, on Wednesday of this week, news broke that Suzanne's remains were finally found and they were in a shallow grave in Moffat, Colorado, 46 miles south of where she'd lived in Salida, Colorado, back in 2020. Agents from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation found Suzanne's remains on September 22nd when they were on an unrelated search for another missing woman. Suzanne's remains were found, as I said, in a shallow grave before being scattered in a remote field of sagebrush and grasses. Suzanne was positively identified by a coroner on September 27th. Because Suzanne's remains were found in Saguache County, the 12th Judicial District will now be handling Suzanne's case. And according to her sister, Melinda, this is a twofold miracle because this is a fresh start when and if Barry is charged. Chafee County, where Barry was previously charged, was basically a nightmare for the family, and they were not happy with how the district attorney, Stanley, handled the case. It is stunning to hear that the remains were in a shallow grave. For the past three years, many people believed Suzanne's body was likely dumped in an abandoned mine shaft, or perhaps somewhere deep in the earth. This shallow grave makes me wonder if the remains were perhaps moved from an earlier location to this spot. Of course, it's also possible that this is the original dumping ground and whoever dumped her there was on a tight schedule, concerned about getting caught in the act, and eager to get the hell out of Dodge. Tragically, Suzanne's father, Gene, passed away before he could see his daughter be brought home, be found, and get justice. The story that Suzanne's husband, Barry, told from The Jump was that his wife must have been mountain biking when she disappeared, This story was supposed to be supported when Suzanne's bike was found down a steep ravine. The story was, Suzanne must have had an accident, but investigators knew that if she'd gone down that ravine, she would have been badly injured and likely lying there with her bike. That wasn't the case. She had vanished into thin air. It also appeared to the authorities that the bike had been staged there. And when Suzanne's blue bike helmet was discovered one mile away off highway fifty and her sunglasses and hydration pack were still in her Range Rover, the authorities began to sniff the odor of BS. Barry told the authorities that the day before Suzanne disappeared, he and his wife had had a wonderful time. Although he admitted there had been some marital tension prior to that, Barry said that on May 9th, he and Suzanne had a nice dinner together and they even got jiggy, if you know what I mean. Barry claimed Suzanne was still sleeping that next morning on Mother's Day when he left for work. Now, on this particular Mother's Day, Barry and Suzanne's daughters happened to be away on a camping trip, so it was a weekend when the house was empty. This was unusual, because normally the daughters would have been with their mom on Mother's Day. At some point on May 10th, Mallory and Macy call Barry to tell them that they can't get through to their mother, Suzanne. And when Barry texts her and she doesn't respond, someone in the family contacts a neighbor to check on Suzanne. The neighbor does this and then calls Barry and tells him that Suzanne's car is at the house, but she apparently is not home. Then Barry sends the neighbor out again to look for Suzanne's mountain bike. Maybe she's out for a ride. The bike is not at home. At some point, law enforcement is called, and when they go out to look for Suzanne, lo and behold, they spot her bike down that steep ravine. The bike's there, but Suzanne is not with it. Barry suggests that maybe Suzanne was attacked by a mountain lion, but there's no sign of that. You would have seen blood. You would have seen stuff. So at this point, Barry's thinking that maybe Suzanne was nabbed, as in kidnapped. So he goes on camera with his Oh Suzanne plea and he addresses Suzanne directly and says, If anyone has you, we'll do whatever it takes to to get you back. Personally, I found it odd that Barry spoke to Suzanne and not to her alleged captors. But that's just me. About 10 days later, as investigators are looking around the Morphew property, they find what's called a spy pen in the master bedroom. This little gadget hides in plain sight, looking like a pen, but it secretly records conversations. Someone in the home is playing James Bond, and it turns out the pen belongs to Suzanne, and she was using it to record Barry to see if he was having an affair But the irony is that the pen doesn't pick up Barry talking to a lover. Instead, it captures Suzanne chatting with a high school friend named Jeff Liebler, with whom she's having an affair. So this is how the investigators discover that Barry's rose-colored description of his marriage isn't quite accurate. To the investigators, it begins to look like maybe Barry was fibbing, when he said he and Suzanne had such a great evening the night before she vanished. Four months after Suzanne disappears, her brother Andy Mormon organized a five-day search for his sister. Andy knew that as time went by, the chances of finding Suzanne alive diminished. Meanwhile, the residents of Salida were on edge not knowing exactly what led to Suzanne's disappearance. Suzanne and Barry were not well known in Salida because they'd only moved there in 2018. They'd come from their hometown of Alexandria, Indiana, where they'd both lived their entire lives prior to this move. Suzanne, by all accounts, did not want to move away from her family and friends. Her father, Jean, was not in the greatest health. She herself was also suffering with health issues. She'd survived two battles with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Suzanne, you were a badass. You didn't deserve this. But some people have said the Morphews moved to Colorado to be closer to their eldest daughter, Mallory, who was studying at Western State Colorado College. Others feel that Barry, who is an avid hunter, was the catalyst for the move, that it was his dream to live in a wild and woolly part of Colorado. Suzanne and Barry had met in high school, where she was very popular, and Barry was a star baseball player. To me, they look like the Ken and Barbie couple of their high school, the it couple, the one you want to hang out with. Barry was even drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays, but an injury destroyed any hopes of a major league career. After they both graduated from Purdue University, they got married in 1994. Barry started his own landscaping company and Suzanne became a middle school teacher. But later, after they had their daughters, she quit the job to be a stay-at-home mom. At the time of Suzanne's disappearance, her elder daughter Mallory was away at college, as I told you earlier, and 16-year-old Macy was still living at home. Now let's talk about the months, the weeks, and the days leading up to Suzanne's disappearance. In the months prior to May of 2020, Suzanne and a close friend of hers exchanged text messages in which Suzanne revealed that her marriage to Barry was rocky. And then days before Suzanne vanishes, she sends Barry a text that says, "'I'm done. I could care less what you're up to and have been for years.'" we just need to figure this out civilly, end quote. So Suzanne's telling Barry she wants a divorce, but all signs say that Barry doesn't want one. Could this be motive for a crime? You're darn tootin' it could. Then, just two days before her disappearance, Suzanne tells her sister Melinda, that Barry has been abusive. This revealing text was a bit of a shock for the sister, because Suzanne didn't often open up to her like that, at least when it came to her marriage. On May 9th, the day before Mother's Day, records show Suzanne and her lover, Jeff, messaged each other 59 times. At some point that day, Suzanne sent Jeff this selfie, which investigators have named her last proof of life photo. It's a haunting image to behold when you know that she's soon to melt into nowhere land. The investigators believe that these messages and this selfie occurred right up until the moment Barry allegedly attacked his wife. At least that's what investigators originally believed before prosecutors dropped the charges against Barry. So back to Saturday, May 9th, 2020. Barry reportedly was out running errands that day, and he sent Suzanne a text at 2.26 p.m. telling her he was on his way home. But Suzanne doesn't respond, so he texts her again. Did you leave? Again, Suzanne fails to respond, Investigators believe Barry returned home soon after that second text and was likely furious. They believe he did Suzanne in and then cleaned up the crime scene. It would appear that divorcing would mean selling the beautiful million-dollar-plus luxury home that Barry allegedly adored so i ask is it possible that barry is a man who would rather destroy his wife than agree to divorce and have to let her go have to split up the family assets have to watch his wife go off with a guy from high school. But again, this is all allegedly Barry Morphew is not currently charged for Suzanne's death. Investigators developed their theory that Barry did Suzanne in when they finally got inside the Morphew home to look around. They find a long dark crack along the doorframe leading into the master bedroom. They ask Barry if the crack... Is due to an argument with Suzanne or the result of him being locked out of the bedroom, Barry replied. I have no idea where that's from. Note that the prior owners said that it wasn't there when they sold the house to the Morphews. Investigators back then began to think that this dude damaged the door as he tried to get into the room to get to Suzanne after, get this, shooting her with the tranquilizer gun. As a hunter, Barry had one of these. They're used to sedate large animals like bears and deer. They're designed for animals, not people. Another piece of the puzzle leading investigators to their theory were cell phone records that seemed to show Barry's phone pinging all around the house on May 9th. To have that pattern of pings, investigators felt that Barry had to have been running around the property and inside the home and I'm pretty sure they didn't think he was trying to get in his 10,000 steps. So Barry admits to the investigators that he was indeed running around, but he said it was because he was shooting at chipmunks, which he said were a constant nuisance. Investigators felt it was more likely he was chasing Suzanne. Let's take a minute here. Try to imagine your husband or your significant other chasing you with a tranquilizer gun, and you know what a skilled hunter he is. Can you imagine how terrified Suzanne must have been if that's really true? The next significant clue as to what may have happened comes from Barry's truck. Its computer indicated that it had been put in reverse and backed up toward the house around 9:30 p.m. on that same Saturday, May 9th. So if Barry got home that day at, say, 3 p.m. and then was backing his truck up toward the house at 9.30 p.m., that would have given him six and a half hours in which to commit the crime, clean up any mess around the home and property, Allegedly. The question is, did Barry drive to Moffat, Colorado with whatever he may have loaded into the back of his truck? If so, when exactly did he do that? The next puzzle piece investigators discovered was a clear plastic needle cap in the family's dryer. Investigators believed that when Barry arrived home on May 9th, he went into the garage, took this plastic needle cap off a syringe used to load a tranquilizer dart, injected the dart with a paralyzing chemical, took the tranquilizer gun, and chased Suzanne with it until he hit the target. Note that investigators failed to find a working tranquilizer gun, or chemicals for one, in or around the Morphew home days after Suzanne's disappearance. But the Morphew home wasn't searched until days after Suzanne's disappearance. When Barry was asked about the cap and how it got in the dryer, he said he had no idea. He did, however, admit that he had a lot of experience using a tranquilizer dart gun and that he knew how to load one with chemicals designed to paralyze and sedate deer in order to remove their antlers. You see, Barry sold antlers on the side. When investigators told him that a tranquilizer dart had been fired, quote, in or around the house, he replied, quote, the first thing I thought of when I came here and saw deer in my yard with big horns. I'm like, I'm getting them horns, and I'll tell you exactly what I did. I shoot them, they go to sleep, I cut their horns off. It's totally illegal, but you're gonna find trank darts around my property because I've done that, end quote. I'm sorry, but that seems like a cowardly and cruel thing to do to a deer if it's not hunting season. Then, on May 10th, when Suzanne is reported missing, investigators discover Barry was throwing trash at several locations in Broomfield, Colorado while there on a landscaping job. Barry is captured on surveillance cameras throwing things in various dumpsters. Barry explains this to the investigators by saying he often dumps trash in bins around town to avoid having to pay to have it thrown in a landfill. Investigators believe Barry was throwing evidence away far from home. You see, Broomfield is two hours and 45 minutes away from Salida, Colorado. Barry sounds like such a delightful, upstanding man. At least follow the rules for dumping your landscaping trash for crying out loud. Barry also was photographed by investigators three days after Suzanne went missing, and his arms had several scratch marks on them. That, to me, looked to be about the size of a female's fingernails, just saying. It wasn't until nearly a year after Suzanne was last seen alive that Barry was arrested and charged with first degree murder and with tampering with evidence. Barry pleaded not guilty, and on September 20th of 2021, he was released from jail on bond. His faithful daughters, Mallory and Macy, were by his side. You know, I have to say they are so lovely and they look so much like their mom, especially Macy, in my opinion. They are the innocent victims of this story. Of course, they cling to their dad. He's their only parent now. Their hearts are probably torn somewhere deep down inside. Let's for a minute imagine that Barry Morphew did harm his wife. Okay, I'm not accusing him of that. I'm just saying let's speculate a little. Now that we know that Suzanne's remains were found in Moffat, Colorado. It's interesting to imagine his movements post the crime, allegedly. Again, he's not charged with any crime right now. Did he maybe load Suzanne's body into his truck around 9.30 p.m. on May 9th? Did he then perhaps go back inside the house to get some rest. Then in the early morning hours did he make the 46-minute car ride to Moffitt, hastily dig a shallow grave, and dump Suzanne in it. Then did he turn around and drive all the way up north to Broomfield, Colorado, to where he said he did some prep work on a landscaping job. A man contracted to work with Barry for that weekend, Jeffrey Puckett, said he worked for Barry on Mother's Day. Puckett said he arrived at the motel on Sunday, May 10th in Broomfield and stayed in a room that Barry had reserved for him. Puckett stated The room smelled strongly of chlorine, and he thought maybe the pool was open, but it wasn't due to COVID-19 restrictions. A motel manager also said that they don't use chlorine to clean the rooms, So why did the room smell like that? Also, why were there wet towels scattered around the room? Puckett also found a letter addressed to Barry in the motel room's trash. He felt Barry had maybe left it there deliberately to create an alibi. Puckett said he didn't know when Barry arrived in Broomfield or when exactly he left. So now I ask, was it in that Broomfield motel room that Barry allegedly washed up after the crime and the messy job of digging a shallow grave out in Moffitt. I mean, if I were going to commit a crime like this, God forbid, my thoughts would be to dump the body far enough away from home so that nobody finds it easily drive in a direction opposite to where my job in Broomfield is the next day, because law enforcement will likely jump to the conclusion that I dumped evidence along the route to Broomfield and possibly in Broomfield. Also, Moffat, Colorado is just far enough away from Salida, 46 minutes by car, that it's a good distance away but not so far that I have to be missing in action for, say, more than two hours. You know what I mean? Because you don't want anybody knowing that you took a side trip to this location that is away from your home, but not toward your landscaping job. Moffat is also in the opposite direction of Broomfield, so the authorities, unless they come across camera footage of Barry and his truck down there, would have no clue that he drove there provided he turned off his cell phone or left it at home. I'm thinking whatever computer that's in the truck maybe did not reveal a drive on May 9th or 10th to Moffitt, or maybe again it did, we don't know. Could Suzanne's body have been moved at some point from a previous location to Moffitt? But would the perpetrator risk that, especially if he felt the authorities were watching him? Note that a family member told Fox 21 News back in 2021 that Barry allegedly refused two polygraph tests and that the data collected from Barry's truck didn't match what he had told investigators. However, Barry claimed he was never asked to take a polygraph. So was he or wasn't he asked to take a polygraph? I would surmise that he probably was asked. Nearly 10 months after Suzanne's disappearance, Barry sold the big, beautiful family home. It sold for $1,625,000. Note that the Morpheus bought it in 2018 for $1,575,000. So Barry made a nice profit. Now that Suzanne's remains have been recovered, what comes next? The authorities say the investigation is ongoing. When prosecutors dropped the charges against Barry, they did it because the judge had found that they had repeatedly failed to follow rules for turning over evidence to the defense. The prosecutors in Moscow, Idaho should heed this cautionary tale. In the case of Barry Morphew, it was claimed that the evidence could have potentially helped his case. It could have been exculpatory, maybe. The potentially exculpatory evidence included DNA linked to SA cases in other states. The DNA was found on Suzanne's Range Rover. However, that vehicle had been in the shop prior to the crime, so it's possible the DNA got on the car at the shop while somebody was servicing the vehicle. Let's hope Suzanne's remains reveal what exactly happened to her prior to her disappearance because she deserves justice and her family, especially her siblings and her daughters, deserve to know the truth. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. No questions asked. However much they want, I will do whatever it takes to get you back. Honey, I love you. I want you back to